Many of you have uh, known me from eight, you know, I don't know how or how old we were coming here, just from little or have made an impact. And uh, Susan Bagger shaking her head, yeah, <laughs> it was that long. But, uh, you know, and have made such an impact in my life or my family's life, both in many cases. And I am um, very thankful. I, I, uh, I've never done anything truly more humbling than to get to have the chance to prepare and, uh, come speak before you this morning. Um, we're gonna, uh, pre- I'm going to start in uh, James chapter 2. And I'm going to, we're going to read a few verses here. Here to start. And um, I know Jimmy's been going through a sermon series with you guys uh, called This Is Us, going through who we are as a church and who we are as a body of believers. And uh, as, I was just as, Brian, you know, what do I say to, to a congregation that has meant so much to me, you know, you know over, the, over time? And this is really where God has been dealing with me a lot in, and I uh, really believe this is what God has for us as a church, because I believe that um, in this passage here, it's not just for those who have been in church, out of church, never stepped foot in church, been in church 20. I, I believe this really um, grab hold of any, um, all of us here. Um, we're going to start in verse 14 here, and it says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, then what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works his faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I'm going to pray for us. God, I come to you this morning. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for the true privilege it is to get to be up here and have the chance to proclaim it. God, I pray that, God, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that if they don't hear a word I say, I don't care. But I pray that you would intervene in each and every single um, one of the, each and every individual lives here this morning. God, I pray that we wouldn't walk out of this building the same way as we walked in. God, I pray for an encounter with you truly here this morning. God, change our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So James starts out this passage of scripture dealing with the issue of faith and what is salvation. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians that we are not saved by works, but rather by grace. For it is by grace we've been saved through faith, not of works as a gift of God. Now, in these two conflict, I have a lot of friends, both in church, outside of church, both that you know, have come to me with questions referring to this passage of, are we justified by works or are we justified by faith? It, it, it looks like a contradiction and makes some confusion, but James is not given any new, um, he's not giving any new revelation here. 
Uh, James is considered to be, although it's one of the, they consider James to be one of the first New Testament letters that was written, but he's still not giving any new revelation, anything that Jesus ever said. We are not justified by works, but rather they are the natural byproduct of our faith. I want to I address that before we go any farther in this passage. I think if we, if we start in left field thinking that, that works have anything to do, that our works in and of themselves have anything to do with our salvation, they're going to end far off in left field. Looking at verse 18, he says, uh, Here, but some will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying, you know, we can talk about this great faith that we have all day long. We can talk about the power of God. We can talk about all the mysteries of the world. We can talk about all the eschatology, soter, all the allergies. I don't know how to pronounce. You could just lay them out. But if you have no works there, then it's worthless. You know, I could tell you all about it, but if I have nothing to show for it, then it's absolutely worthless. And that's what James is saying here. The, the, the works in and of themselves don't save us. The only work that saves us is the work that Jesus did for us. That's, that's the only thing we have to hope in works-wise. The Bible says that our righteousness is filthy rags, that without faith it is impossible to please God. Our works do not save us, but rather they are the natural byproduct of our faith. So I want to make sure that's, that's clear, just upfront. address that, because like I said, I think if we get that wrong, we're going to get everything else sort of mixed up here. So going back to verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, then what does it profit? Now, James lists a few different things here, both of them being practical. First, one that is destitute of daily food, and the other that is, that is naked without clothes. Okay, he gives... Um, Two very practical examples here. But if you would, turn also to Matthew chapter 25. Here, I want to read a discourse that Jesus gave here. In this passage here in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is teaching his disciples. They're on the Mount of Olives. This is just before the Passover, just before he was going to be betrayed. But Jesus is here teaching his disciples, and he covers a long list of different things here. But this last little bit of this discourse here, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the um, coming judgment. Picking up in verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and the holy angels with him, he will sit on the, throne of, on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick and come to you? Catch this, verse 40, he says this. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Now, the passage that we read in James, there is a, a lot that we could just dive in and just, I mean... This, it's far more than I feel like I could ever cover, give it justice in 30 minutes. Okay, there's far more here than I could ever do. But what I really want us to grab hold 
that is that we, although we are not saved by our own works, we as believers should produce works as a natural result, as a natural byproduct of our faith. Jesus is, gives here in this teaching it similar. Not, James doesn't list all of them, but they both give different practical implications for, you know, for, you know, you were hungry and you fed me. Different practical works that we can do for somebody. Okay? Jesus here is teaching his, his disciples. Go back. Um, somebody, real quick, I'm actually, it's not rhetorical. I want somebody to yell it out. Go back to verse 14 in the same passage. This is the conversation immediately before 31. And, and uh, somebody yell, what is Jesus teaching his disciples immediately before this passage of um, the judgment of the nations? The parable of the talents. Okay? I, I, for time's sake, I'm not going to read the whole parable, but Jesus is teaching his disciples. He uses the example of a master and three different servants. Now, talent is not a play on words. It was a form of currency for them. Um, but in, uh, Jesus gives a picture of a master and three servants, and he gives the three servants one five talents, one uh, two talents, and one he gives one two. Okay, then the master leaves, and then he um, comes back and goes to the first servant where he gave five and the servant comes to him and said, look, you gave me five talents. Here, I have produced five more. The master says, said to the servant, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter to the joy of your Lord. Same thing for the second service. The master goes to the second, and he says, here, you gave me two. I'll give you, two. and I've produced two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. and Enter to the joy of your Lord. But the man who had the one talent, he went and he took it and he buried it. And then when the master came, he just brought it to him and said, look, you, you gave me the one. I went and buried it, so... Here's your one talent back. And if you remember what happened, if you're familiar with the story, remember that the master got angry with him, right? He says, you know, you may as well put it in the bank and I could have got interest off of it. You know, he was angry that that's all he produced. And this was a picture, like I said, this is just immediately before this passage here in 31 when he talks about his works. It's a picture of, of faith here. We are accountable. God gives us all different things. And we are accountable to God no matter how great, how small, for how we handle them. Now, you know, you might be called a pastor at church. You might be called to maybe work at a fast food place down the road. You might be called to, called to mission somewhere. You might be called to an office somewhere. You know, it gives each different gifts and abilities. You know, but we're called to be faithful in that. Jesus, has, you know, he, he didn't come. He didn't judge, well, you know, the first sermon gave me 10. You've only given, no. He given each different. And he says at the end of this parable, here in verse 20, this is he's when he, 29. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. For, for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Talking about unfaithfulness. Verse 30. And the unprofitable servant will be cast into the outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We are accountable to how we handle the faith that God has given us. We're accountable to him for it. God has given us all different gifts, different abilities, different works to do, and we are accountable to him for that. Okay, that's what he's showing here. Now, so we all have different talents. Many, you know, many of you guys know, many of you have had kids. I've worked with, I feel like God has really gifted me in the ability of, of teaching and working with children, working with um, just teaching in general. I feel like that's where God's really gifted me. You look back in the media, I promise you, I'm not gifted in media, absolutely whatsoever. Absolutely not. But you have people back there who are. 
you know, for me, I, I would much rather have a room of 20 screaming children to, than to be sitting back behind that camera. <laughs> much rather, any day of the week. Give it to me. I told this story about my, temp, my great electronic skills. So over the summer, I had gone and I, uh, my phone had quit, and I went out and I had bought my first iPhone. Okay? It was cool, new, you know, new gadget. Never had one, and uh, I don't know, messing around with it. It looks a little bit different and everything else. Well, for anybody who has an iPhone in here, I assume there's a fair amount. You know a little sound bar on the side that you can flip up and down? You know, it just turns your sound on and off. Okay. So I know where we're going with this. So I was messing with it, and then a few days later, my sound quit working. And I could not figure it out. You know, it's funny if it's for an hour, a couple and this was probably almost a week. And I could not figure out what was wrong with my phone. I was going to take it back to the store and just say, look, I had this phone like three days and my phone's quit. I can't figure out what's wrong with it. So uh, thankfully, my brother, who is good at technology, came and introduced me to the little switch that you can just flip on the side. <laughs> Fantastic. Marvelous. <laughs> I, I can't do that. True story. I had many, many missed calls. And, and one time, I had 15 missed calls in about a range of 10 minutes. I don't know how you can call somebody that fast, but I did. I did. True story. Yeah, that was not, not a fun day for me. But God has given us all uh, different gifts, different abilities. You know, may, maybe... You know, one, you're talented with cooking, and you feel led by God to go bless a neighbor down the road. Well, we're called to be faithful in that. Maybe you're good at construction, and, and God has called you to go, and, you know, you see the neighbor's shed is just absolutely falling apart, and he has, just doesn't have the ability to fix it. God has put it in your heart to go fix it. We're called to go fix it. Keeping in mind that, granted, our works do not save us, that that work in and of itself would not save us, but it is the byproduct of our faith, that we are being led by God to serve them. We are accountable to God for that. And I also want to you know, show here too that our works you know, are, are great and, and it's, it's of course important to serve within the church and of, and of course it's important. But also you ha we have to remember that the world outside is watching us. Okay? It's great. And of course, I, I can't stress enough the importance. You know, if, if you're not involved, get involved some, somewhere. Plug into the local church. But also... If we're not serving the law, if we're not reaching out by serving, using our gifts, then how are they ever going to hear? How are they ever going to hear if we don't go? You know, one of the strongest ways we can proclaim the gospel to somebody is just by serving, just by serving somebody. And they're not even talking to just serving them in a way that the world would just see like uncharacteristic. Like, why would you do that? I, um, I've seen that time and time again. I know... Um, I, since I've been, many of you, Jimmy had said too, I've been, uh, God has led me to go up to, um, to uh, Clear Creek. It's up in Kentucky there. And I had, before I went, before I went there, many of you also know that I went to school at the uh, Morristown Tech College and I took mechanics. And I could never figure out after, like I never felt like I was running from God. Just admittedly, I never felt like I was running from the call to ministry. So I was confused why God had led me there. And, but, uh, you know, so I went, I graduated from that, and when I got to school, and, I, and I've prayed, to, like, why, why would you want me to spend those two years there? But when I've got to school, I have, I promise you, I've, um, I serve with the church up there whenever I'm um, up there during school, and, uh, and just being in the community of Middlesbrough, I have never in my own life just seen sin rip through so harsh as in that community. 
Sin has ripped the hearts of that community. And I see it every week, time and time and time again. And I really feel strongly that as I've prayed for God to give me, like, God, why would you send me to that school? And of course, it's nice to know a trade, but why would you really want me to go? I, I just really don't think God used it to kind of open my heart to the pain that's really in the world. You know, to, to really see the, the people, they, they're just longing. They are really hurting for the gospel, even in the Bible Belt, where we take for granted that everybody would know. You know, I think, I think it's easy to take for granted. I'm just as guilty as anybody of just like, well, of course, you know, somebody would have heard the story of Dan and Lion's Den, or of course somebody would have heard the story of Jesus before, you know, especially in this culture where it's just so part of the culture. Of course you would. There's people who don't know, and there's also people, many who have, you know, seen the works of Christians that we talked about um, in verse 8, in James chapter 2, 18, where we talked about, you know, having no works. You know, I, I, I just could not count how many times I've you know, overheard a car. Somebody has said to me, like, yeah, I've seen those Christians, and, I, and then they are going out doing this thing the next day. You know, our works are telling of our faith. They don't save us, but they are telling of our faith. If we really, really authentically believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, that we stand in condemnation before him, if we really believe that there are people heading to hell by their sin, then how? If we believe that Jesus is the only way, we know the way, and we claim to have a relationship, then how could we not go? How could that not drive us to action? How could that? And that's what Jesus is preaching. You know, if you really authentically believe that, if you really authentically believe that there will be people going to hell because they don't know the name of Jesus, that, and we really believe hell is as bad as Jesus said it is, would that not drive us? Should that not give us a little bit of motivation? If we had just an ounce of the love Jesus had, I think that would just push. And like I say, I'm as guilty for being apathetic to that as anybody. But really, that's what God is pointing out to us here. Going back to the uh, passage in James chapter 2. Picking up in verse 18 here. He says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? I believe, verse 19, I think, is one of the strongest urges in the New Testament. Hear it again, verse 19. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Verse 20. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Listen, if we just acknowledge God on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever, any other day, but there's no works for it, then what he's saying here is we, you know, you've done really well. You've done as good as the demons do. That's his comparison here. If it's just a bunch of head knowledge, well, even the demons know that he's God. Even the demons obey his voice. And you can see it time and time again in Scripture. If it's truly not a heart knowledge, but, you know, truly not had our lives transformed by God, then it's worthless. It's dead. It's dead. I I think it's just such a powerful urge. You know, and you can say all the right things. You know all the answers. You know all the big words that, like I said, I don't have prayer to pronounce. But you have no works and you have no love and you have truly no faith is what he's saying. 
then you've literally done as good as the demons have. Verse 21, he gives some examples of what he's talking about here. He says, Would not Abraham our father just justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Okay, he gives these two examples. Now, James, when he wrote this letter, he was writing to the, to the 12 tribes. They would have been more than familiar with these two. You know, two heroes from the Old Testament, both had, both had faith. He talks about their works, but they also had faith. If you go back to Abraham, okay, he uses the example of his son Isaac. And I wish I had time to read. That is one of my favorite stories in the Bible of just watching Abraham's faith progress. But if you remember, when God first promised Abraham his, uh, his son Isaac, that, you know, as time went on, he began to doubt that promise. He began to lose sight. He be, he began, and obviously they went. He went with his um, maidservant, and then he had Ishmael. That wasn't what God had for him. God was promising the son through Sarah to be Isaac. But you just kind of watch as his faith goes. As Abraham doubts God, but then after they had him, you see here he was willing to sacrifice him because God had made him the promise: "I'll make you the father over many nations; that your descendants will be countless as the stars in the sky." You see that he gained faith in God. After, you know, through Isaac, that he even had faith that even if he was to die, that God was still going to fulfill his promise. You can just watch the progression of Abraham's faith, and I love that. I love that here. But his works are what justify that, that we can turn to that work and see that in Abraham. That he wasn't just telling you how great God was, but that he actually physically displayed his faith in God here. And same for, and same for Rahab, when, he, she, when the messengers had come to Rahab and she, and she had hid them and sent them out the other and they had uh, sent them out. You know, Rahab had believed the message that God had sent the messengers. Okay? And they were, were going to destroy the city. And Rahab had said, you know, spare me. You know, spare me and my family. She had believed in the God that the messengers had said. This wasn't this work that saved her in and of itself. But her works were the evidence of her faith. Were the byproduct. And she was justified by that. It says, for the body without spirit is dead. So is faith without works dead also. Church, they're watching us. I promise you, you know, in the world, they are watching us through and through. And I truly just sort of, just how Abraham did. If you can even go back, even, I'm as guilty as one just to slip up and fall and fall up and then lose sight. But you can just kind of watch how Abraham's faith progressed. We'd already mentioned that. I wish I had more time to do that. But you should, the whole, I hope that you can see that in your own life where God has brought you through time and time and time again. And maybe it's something huge, maybe it's something small. God uses all kinds of things to make an impact in our lives. Maybe some, you know, even on paper telling somebody are just blow you away. Some maybe are as simple as somebody brought dinner to you. And, you know, it really made an impact on your life. We are called to be faithful with the work God has given us. We are called to be faithful. Now, we're all called to different things. We're all called to different talents. We're all called to different places. Your friend circle is different than mine, but we are accountable to God for how we handle that. God is going to give us more. God's going to give us less. It's going to be different. We are accountable to him for that. 
I pray this morning, and I want to, I started on this note in this passage, and I, and I want to, and I think it's just that important, back to verse 18, that if you are trusting in your works to get you any closer to God, in anything you do in and of yourself, that you would repent of that, that you would turn away. Listen, you know, if, you, if you've got yourself, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person, I do this for this person, and I, I'm over here every weekend, and Listen, Satan's going to drag a lot of people to hell by convincing them they're good people before God. Because we are not held by the standards of this person, that person, so-and-so, he said that whatever. We are held to the standards of God. And ultimately, we all stand guilty before God. We, if you are trusting in your own works, there is nothing you can do on yourself. I would beg you to repent of that. Do not be deceived. Do not be moved from that. Anything you do without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot earn our way to God in any way, shape, or form. That's why God had to reach down to us through Jesus. And that's why he came and died for us, so he could be our sacrifice. He paid the penalty for us. If we would trust him and turn to him and put our lives in his hands, then he promised to change us from the inside out. And then we will see these works, not as some, oh, look what I, you know, look what I did, but more of, it's just an outpouring. It's just part of growing in Christ, a natural byproduct of that. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. But if you're here this morning and, and you are saved and maybe you stumbled in that, maybe you lost sight or, or whatever, maybe it's hard to see God or, and you're just not sure, I pray that you'd come back to him. I pray that you put your life in his hands and I pray that you let him touch you. Don't forget the things he's already done in your life too. Excuse me, God, is, God says time and time and time again, don't forget, no, don't forget the things that we've done. You know, most commonly the Bible talks about them leading him out of Egypt. And no matter how many years pass, he goes back to that. Don't forget what God has already done in your life. Because if we lose sight of that, I mean, we're going to miss out on so much of what God's got for us. If we just kind of go back and just watch how he's hand, his hand in everything, from beginning, you know, right from the beginning and from the get-go, We'll miss out so much if we just get so caught up in the here and now. So I pray if, if, uh, if really you're here and you know you're saved, but you know, you've slipped out. Maybe you, know, you can live one way Sunday and then the rest of the week is, is so-so. Well, then I pray you come back to God. Or maybe you've just fallen away. I pray you come back. He's never left you. Come back to him and let him change you from the inside out. Let him smash yourself will just a little bit and show you what he's really got for you because God's got something in your life way more than you could ever imagine. I promise you. I absolutely. But I also encourage you that if you are here this morning and you are saved and you are pursuing and you are pursuing what God has for you and, and you can see God in your life and God's working and you know, you're in a time, maybe you're in a time of... Uh, Sowing, maybe you're in time of reap, maybe you're pouring into and you're discipling to somebody's life. And, you know, there's times of that that that's going to get draining, that that's just going to wear you out. Pray for strength in that moment, okay? It doesn't say it's going to be easy. Just because you're following God's will doesn't make it easy. In fact, the Bible promises almost the contrary of that. You know, pray for strength in that time. Or if you're in a time of harvest, that's awesome. You get to celebrate and you're seeing people come and you're seeing God move. That's awesome. You know, praise him for it. And then pray, for, you know, pray that you come, you know, that he would reveal, reveal himself to you, but also strengthen you for what he's got next. 
because the whole underlying implication, though, and, and I don't want this to, to be misunderstood, you know, as in, well, it doesn't necessarily apply to God has called every believer to do, to do work. God has provided everybody something. God has, God does have blessings waiting for you, and he has work for you to do, and he wants, and, not, and it's not just these physical things, but God wants to reveal himself to you, you know, through practical ways, and, and it, like, it may be something so small, something you would never think. I'll tell you, uh, this past Wednesday, we had uh, taken, at the church I'm with in uh, Kentucky, working with them, I had taken, a, we had been working on some mission projects with them. We started that, and I'm leading that with them. And we had taken that, they've been uh, making gifts and little things for uh, one of the ladies in the nursing home who goes there. And uh, I had taken the, some of the oldest kids to go and take her these gifts and sing to her a little and stuff like that. And uh, when they had, um, you know, they were, of course, partying. And it's all up until you get to the door. And then they froze. I mean, they were just stiff. They would not move. And they're usually, I mean... I mean, you know, they can just be, nope, just bored, done, nope, not. And then they, so then we lead them in, and then they sing to, you know, then they give the gifts, and they sing, they play cards. And I promise you, not one of those kids, I had nine of them, I believe, uh, not one of them walked out of there dry-eyed. I promise you. I mean, just as simple singing and playing cards. I mean, they truly were broken. Even my big, I had a couple big macho boys, and they're trying to be tough, and no, they were even broken too. And that was kind of fun to see. God will occasionally smash, smash your comfort zone. God will occasionally try to bring you into something that you might not feel comfortable, qualified for, or something. But God's got something for you. Just be obedient in that. Follow him wherever he's leading you. Again, no matter how great and how small, don't convince yourself it's a waste of time. I think it's one of the biggest things Satan's ever named me. It's like, why would you do something like that? It's just a big waste of time. Well, you know, maybe it's, you know, someone's having a hard time and you just go pick them up and take them for a car ride or take them a cup of coffee at work or something or write them a little note. So, you know, in your head, like, why, why would that even make a difference? You can make all the difference in the world to somebody. Some of the best times, even times I've struggled, times I've been unsure, some of the best times I've ever had have just been riding around in a car through Newmarket here, just going and wandering around. We didn't go anywhere. We just got up and drove for an hour. Some of the best and most influential times have been, have been that. I promise, if God is urging you to do something like that, take that step of faith and just do it and don't look back. You know, what does Jesus say? You know, whoever you know, turns back is not worthy of the kingdom. Just trust God in that. God's going to bless it no matter how great or how small. Keep in mind that, again, there's... there's I can't say it enough. There's no work in and of ourselves that we could do to draw us any closer to God. Only work that could ever save us and, and redeem us is the work of Christ for us on the cross. I am um, more than thankful for um, the opportunity to, got, to get and to come and uh, stand before you guys this morning. And I, and I really pray that it would challenge you and that God would deal with you. And I pray that you chew on it. I pray you go back and just Dive into what, what uh, James has written here and see what God will do in your life through it. I pray that if God would call you to do something, and maybe it's to repentance. Again, maybe you find you have been trusting in works. Just repent of that. He's listening. He's here, and he already knows. You're not going to blindside him. I promise.
He's waiting and he wants to do. And he wants to work in your life and he wants to reveal himself to you, which is also probably a big reason he gave us his word that we can see. But uh, I want to pray for us and then um, and I believe the band is going to come and uh, play a song. But again, I am very thankful for the opportunity to, um, to, to come and stand before you and speak to you guys. And I'm very thankful for, um, I can attest to, I can attest to that in, in my life. God's been really dealing with me in, that, in, in these areas here lately. I, I, I'll tell you for sure, I never dreamed, not even a year ago, that I'd ever stand up. No. But God has a way of, do, of doing things. But I, I want to pray for us, and then um, they're going to sing. So, God, I come to you, God. I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you. Uh, for your word, God, I thank you that you love us enough not to leave us the same. God, I thank you so much for your gospel. God, I thank you that although there's no work that we could ever do to restore our relationship, that God, that you left heaven and came and bore the weight of our sin and uh, died for us. I thank you so much that um, for loving us. I pray that you would draw people to yourself here this morning. Don't let us walk out the same way we walked in. God, I pray that you would change lives and I pray that you would help us to live out our faith day in, day out, even when it's hard. God, I thank you so much um, for the blessing it is to get to be, to be here this morning. God, I um, pray you watch over us as we go through this day in Jesus' name.